everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, welcome. If we were in person, we'd invite you for coffee with us. Until that's possible again, though, we hope you'll connect with us and be a part of what God's doing here. Right now, we're in a series in Romans 6 to 8 called How God Helps Us Change. And today's message may be the most important. I say that because it deals with something that many of us value more than anything else. It deals with freedom. Sociologists have concluded freedom is North America's highest, highest ideal. We assume the importance and worth of freedom so much that we assume it's self-evident. But for those who have lived in or come from other parts of the world, you know that not everyone holds the same ideas or assumptions about freedom. Our passion for freedom is what many people love about Canada. We want to be a nation where people have the freedom to speak and believe and worship as our consciences guide us. We want to be a place where marginalized and oppressed groups experience economic and political freedom. And we encourage personal freedom in various forms. Now, if you watch the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks, chances are that when they get to the home of the free line and the Star Spangled Banner, even though the song's not technically over yet, the crowd will already start to cheer and go wild. We love freedom. But we still seldom slow down long enough to define it. We don't think deeply about it. Instead, we just assume it. And we assume the more of it, the better. And so I'm confident there are some listening today that are actually oppressed by a wrong view of freedom. There are probably others who are chasing a version of freedom that, that's a mirage, promising something that it can't deliver. And no doubt there are still others who have taken our culture's understanding of freedom and they've inserted it into the biblical storyline so that you think that the Bible's talking about the same thing that you believe, when actually it's not. You and I won't grow unless we come to terms with freedom as the Bible describes it. So let's dig into today's text and try to grasp what God would teach us from it. To do that, I'd ask you to turn with me to Romans 6, and we'll read from verses 15 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, pause the video and turn to the passage so you can follow along. Romans 6, starting at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in, in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. 
Now, the first principle this passage gives us is that you can choose which ruler you want, but not whether you'll be ruled by something. There is no such thing as living life completely without restraint. The idea of absolute freedom is a myth. You can choose which ruler you want, but not whether you will be ruled by something. Before we allow this passage to make that case, we need to set the scene. In verse 15, Paul is answering a question. He's just finished comparing the Old and New Covenants, and has made the point that we're not under law, or the Old Covenant, but under grace, the grace of the New Covenant. And people were thinking what they think today. If I'm under grace, I can live however I want. Jesus is all about forgiveness, not about rules, so I'm free to do anything I please. Paul says, by no means. Jesus didn't free us from sin so we could sin more. Then he illustrates that with something that they were all familiar with, slavery. So in verse 16, he asks, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? In the first century, almost a third of the population in Rome were slaves, and so they related to this principle well. You live under the authority of whatever you give your life to. This is why the toxic religion can be so dangerous. If you wrongly give complete authority of your life to a pastor or a priest or a guru or an imam, you become their slave. And people tend to abuse that kind of power in another person's life. So that's not what we're talking about. Many people today would agree wholeheartedly. And as a result, they keep their distance from church and often they keep their distance from other people as well. They don't give their hearts fully to anything. They just don't trust. And the idea is that by maintaining control, they're determined to not let anything infringe on their freedom. But notice how Paul breaks the illusion of that kind of thinking. In verse 16, he says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Do you see what he's saying? You're either a slave of sin or of obedience to God. Ultimately, there are only two rulers and everyone is ruled by one or the other. You're either a slave of sin or of obedience to God. Now, I get it. Most people in our culture today would object. Maybe you religious people are enslaved to your God or your rules, but I'm free, they say. I can do whatever I want. This is, this is what people will often say in their deconstruction stories when they leave their faith. They left religion to be free morally and sexually, they say. They wanted to be free from expectations and free from the Bible standards. It's not a new idea. In the first century, there were those who promised that kind of freedom as well. But look what Peter says of them in 2 Peter 2.19. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. People turn their back on Christ because they want to be free sexually, or they want to be free to pursue a particular relationship. They want to be free to get drunk or do drugs with their friends, or they just want to be free to do what they want and not feel guilty about it. But the Bible warns that what people call freedom in those times is actually slavery. It will become the new ruler in their lives. And so it's not surprising that we see the addictions that we do in our society today. Alcohol addiction, drug addiction, 
food addiction, sex addiction, pornography addiction, work addiction, social media, digital addiction. We become enslaved to whatever we give ourselves to and seek meaning in. And if it's not God, it'll be something else. Now, people in the church are usually quick to accept that slavery that non-Christians are prone to, but sometimes they can adopt the same view of freedom that the world has, and they just use Christian language and words to justify it. They say, we're free in Christ. They're under grace, not law. They're not legalists. And what they do is they misuse those phrases to mean, I'm going to live my life however I want, and because I like Jesus, I'm forgiven and going to heaven. But according to the Bible, that's not how it works. Verse 16 says, you're either slaves of sin or of obedience. So which ruler are you living under? Where have you chosen to commit your life? If you would call yourself a Christian, do verses 17 and 18 describe how you understand your conversion? Watch what it says. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Have you come to see the sense in which your independence outside of Christ was in fact a slavery to sin? Has your joy in what Christ has done in dying for you given you a commitment to obedience that this that isn't just superficial or out of obligation, but from the heart? Do you understand that Jesus has saved you from your sin, but hasn't saved you in order for you to sin? By faith, put yourself under a better master. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So far we said we love freedom, but we don't think about it very carefully. We think that we can live completely free, but the reality is that we can choose which ruler we want, but not whether we will be ruled by something. The second way that we get freedom wrong is we don't talk about what comes after our free choices. The Bible teaches we can choose which freedom we want, but we don't get to choose the consequences of that freedom. Our choices may feel liberating, but if we don't consider the results that accompany them, we're opening ourselves up to disappointment and to regret. You can choose which freedom you want, but not the consequences of that freedom. Honestly, this is what disturbs me so much when I hear people talking about their freedom to sin. There's never a recognition of the consequences. It's like they're talking about how people are free to jump off a cliff, and they talk about how liberating it is. But there's never a mention of what happens when you land. For example, they say, you're free to watch pornography, but you're not free to choose whether you become addicted to it or not. You're not free to choose the effect it'll have on your marriage or your view of the opposite sex. Our choices always come with consequences that we don't get to choose. So let's consider what this passage says about them first negatively and then positively. This passage says the person that chooses a sinful version of freedom can expect a number of things. The first is given in verse 19. It's talking about the choice to present your members as slaves to impurity. And then it says, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Do you hear it? One of the consequences of sin is that it leads to more sin. 
Each temptation is like a door, and once we've opened it, we'll find ourselves having to constantly close it over and over again. Once we've gone through it, it's more and more easier to do, do so the next time. This is where addiction is born. It's the same reason that they euthanize animals that have killed humans. Once they have a taste for human blood, they're more likely to attack again. So you're free to choose sin, but know that sin leads to more sin and it will usually take you farther than you want to go. Verse 21 gives another consequence of sin. It poses a question to Christians of what value sin provided in their old lives. And then it asks, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? As you reflect back on sins that you've committed, chances are that you remember them now with a sense of shame. The farther the sin goes, the deeper the shame progresses. We can try and deny it. We can try and hide it. We can gather people around us who are committing the same sin. We can feel the strength in numbers. But sooner or later, the shame of our sinful choices is something that will confront us. When people talk about freedom, they seldom mention that. The final consequence of sinful freedoms this passage gives is the thing that Satan tried to hide from Adam and Eve. In verse 16, Paul talks of sin which leads to death. In verse 21, he speaks of our sinful choices when he says, the end of those things is death. And finally, in verse 23, he just says, the wages of sin is death. That's different than just saying, smoking could kill you. It's talking of eternal death in hell. When a person refuses to come under Christ's lordship, they are free to do so, but they're not free to choose the consequences of doing so. And just doing some good things won't erase the impact of the bad things we've done. As long as sin is our master, we will face the eternal consequences of separation from God in hell. God has given us a Bible not to rob our freedom, but to give us a better and more lasting freedom, better, with better consequences. When we choose the freedom of obedience to God, verse 16 says, that leads to righteousness. Verse 19 speaks of righteousness leading to sanctification. That word sanctification just means growing in, in, in righteousness, growing in maturity. In the same way that each sinful choice makes it easier for us to sin and become bound by that sin, each time we choose obedience, it makes it easier for us to obey and grow in righteousness. And then verse 22 promises that the result of this path of freedom is eternal life. Our eternity is at stake in which version of freedom we choose. Somewhere along the line, did you come to think that you were free to sin without consequence? Even the sins of Christians often result in shame, right? How often have you been embarrassed by the sins of people who name the name of Christ? Christians can still invite regret into their lives. Even the sins of Christians can enslave them. So choose which freedom you want. But remember that you can't choose the consequences of that freedom. Choose which freedom you want, but choose wisely. Choose the righteous freedom of obedience to God and enjoy the blessings of virtue and life that it brings. Now, I could probably end the message here, and you might have a clear understanding of freedom as the Bible describes it. 
but you may still come, come away with a huge misunderstanding of the Christian message. And so I want to close by walking back through this passage to show you that this new management and its blessings are a gift. Choosing obedience to God and the righteous freedom he offers isn't some great act of virtue and sacrifice on your part. It's actually a gift that was purchased for you at great expense. And the consequences of righteous freedom that I've been talking about, those aren't rewards for good behavior. Those two are the gifts of a gracious God. Let me explain. After describing slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness, Paul says this in verse 19. I'm speaking in human term, term, be, terms because of your natural limitations. He's used slavery, which was something they were familiar with, to try and describe a spiritual concept. But slavery isn't a perfect illustration. The word comes with baggage and can be shaped by our experience and exposure to it. But watch how he takes an imperfect illustration and tries to infuse it with new meaning and nuance. In verse 17, for instance, he starts with the word, but thanks be to God, and describes how they were once slaves of sin, but had been set free and had become slaves of righteousness. If you're listening to this thinking, I understand what you're saying about slavery to sin. That's where I am. But I don't think I could change. If you're thinking that way, you're exactly right. Runaway slaves are killed. They can't just change masters. The whole point here is that this is a work of God. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to set you free from the slavery of sin. It would have held its arms around your neck until your dying breath. But Jesus came to set you free. And so through repentance, which just means renouncing your old allegiance to sin, and faith, which is an expression of new trust and loyalty to Jesus, he brings you into the freedom of righteousness. It's a gift of God, not some heroic religious act that you perform. So the new management is a gift, but so are all its blessings. Every act of heartfelt obedience and every step you progress in sanctification are gifts from a gracious God. That's why Paul says in verse 22, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. Fruit isn't a human invention like the iPhone. It's something we receive from God. If you have a fruit tree, you need to prune it and care for it. But the seeds, the soil, the rain, and the sun, those are all from God. He's the one who makes it grow. A farmer may come in exhausted from a hard day of harvesting, but at the end of that day, they'll give thanks because they know the harvest is something that God provided. That's why Christians don't pat themselves on the back when they do something that's right. We thank God for what he's done in our lives. Notice also the ultimate consequence for our lives. In verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do You see the contrast? Death is what we deserve for the sins we've committed. Those are our wages. That's what we're due. People might expect him to follow that with, but the wages of obedience is eternal life. But that's not what it says. It also doesn't say the reward of obedience is eternal life. It says the free gift of God is eternal life. Nobody deserves a pardon. Nobody can earn the acceptance and favor of a holy God. Who thinks they're good enough to be worthy of an eternity with God 
free from sickness, sin, or death. Nobody earns that. But we can receive it as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have received it, treat it as a gift. Treat your new management as a gift. Give yourself to obedience from the heart. Thank God for a gracious master. And reflect often on the consequences you've been delivered from and the blessings that you've inherited. Let your gratitude fuel your motivation to take new steps of obedience. Enjoy your gift of righteous freedom by following God in new areas with new zeal and new confidence. And let your gratitude drive you to those areas of sin in your life that you're clinging to, clinging to a sinful version of freedom. Give God authority over those areas of your life and renounce the power you've given there to sin. Now we're happy to be slaves of righteousness because we've been delivered from a cruel master and brought to one who gives us new freedom and gifts we don't deserve. Now, to, before we close, let me speak for a moment to the person who's still struggling with all this. Your freedom feels too important to give, for you to give up. Maybe you can see areas of your life where you're enslaved in some sense, but you're not sure you're ready for a new ruler. You've heard the warnings about your freedom's consequences, but you don't know if you could accept a new master. Let me say that the thing that makes the difference is God's love. Before you were even born, he proved his love for you. And you hearing this message even now is an act of love and an invitation to your heart. Parents sacrifice their freedom out of love for their children. Children sacrifice their freedom out of love for their parents. Couples sacrifice their freedom out of love for one another. Anytime those sacrifices are one way, we call that an exploitative relationship. And maybe that's been your only experience of religion. Only in Christianity does God first sacrifice his own freedom for us before he calls us to sacrifice ours for him. Jesus famously described his reason for coming into this world when he said in Mark 10, 45, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world as humanity's servant. He came as a slave, doing the will of the Father, but serving humanity even to the point of death. On the cross, he died a slave's death, but he did so to purchase your freedom from sin slavery. He gave up the freedom of heaven in coming into this world, and then he gave up the freedom of life on this earth and he did so out of love for you. Serving someone like that isn't slavery anymore. It just feels like love. Don't come to him in fear. Come to him in adoration and awe. Lay down this world's freedoms out of love for him because he loves you. Take up the righteous freedom he offers because he's worthy of your love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for clarity and understanding because we just, we just hear so many mixed up messages and words about what freedom is. And so many of them are, are so misleading and so confusing. Help us to realize where there are false promises with, with regard to, to freedom. Help us to flee from those versions of freedom that come with 
painful consequences that we will regret now and for all eternity. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who sacrificed first for us. You set your love upon us. We thank you for Jesus Christ who, out of love, gave up his freedom to become a slave on our behalf so that through his death we might be set free from our slavery to sin. Thank you for this great love. Draw people to yourself, Father. Draw people to experience the great blessing of this love that we can enjoy with you and set the captives free. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you understand freedom more clearly and hope, hopefully to flee the consequences of sinful freedom and embrace the blessings of righteous freedom. If it's stirred up questions or you need help in sorting out some of the decisions this message has brought up for you, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, help spread the word and share the link. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.